Jeremiah 29, verse 11, verse 11. There's a little typo in your, uh, in your notes at the top. Just put 11 instead of eight and spell Jeremiah right. Like I didn't. <clears throat> All right. Uh, uh, maybe some of y'all wouldn't have caught that if I hadn't said it, but I'm fessing up. Amen. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Isn't it great to see people get baptized? My soul. What a blessing that is. All right. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. If you're there, say amen. Amen. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you an expected end. Let's read all that together. Let's all read. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, To give you an expected end. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your presence in this place. We're thankful that we are seeing your power in this place. Lord, people are getting saved. People are coming to know you. They're following you in believers' baptism. And Lord, for that we are grateful. And we want to give you the praise and the glory and the honor. It is nothing we've done or can do. But God, it's all about you. And I praise you and I thank you. Now, Lord, help us today. Help us as we study and learn about what your plans are for us. I pray that your perfect will be done. Don't let me say anything I shouldn't. And Lord, don't let me forget anything I should. And God will praise you and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things. In Jesus' name, and all God's people say it. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. I wanted to, because of Baptismal Sunday, Celebration Sunday, and especially with so many uh, following the Lord and believers' baptism, I wanted to preach a very, very simple message, a very simple message on what now? What now? Uh, a lot of people think that when you get saved, that's, that's the end of the line. That's, that's all there is to it. Man, you're ready to go now. But ladies and gentlemen, this is just the... It's just the beginning. Your walk with the Lord is just beginning. God has a plan for your life. Say amen. Now, now, uh, uh, Mike, I don't know about, they, there's no, there's no clock or nothing showing. And, and that means I'm just going to preach a long time. All right. So y'all can hand, now y'all, y'all going to go ahead and put that clock up. I see. All right. All right. Now here's the thing in this verse, in this verse, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you. That first word thoughts. It's the, it's the Hebrew word, mach ashabah, mach ashabah, which means an intention or a plan, an intention or a plan. God's got an intention or a plan for you. Now the word think there, the word think, the thoughts that I think toward you is the word, uh, kashab, which means to weave, to plot or to fabricate, meaning to work together. In other words, this verse is saying God is working on a plan for your life. God's got a plan. You know, we, 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 you go to a bookstore, you go to a bookstore and there are, there are whole shelves lined up with books that are trying to tell you what the meaning of life is. You don't need to go to books a million. You don't need to tune into Amazon, get you a Bible and you will find out what the meaning of life is. You'll find out where the origin of life is. You'll find out what the meaning of life is. But I'm telling you this. I'm glad to know God has got a plan for my life. 
And God's got a plan for your life. And, and this, so this is, I'm telling you, I am a very one, two, three, simple, uh, simple type guy. I don't like anything complicated. Say amen. I don't like it when Tammy buys presents that I have to put together. I don't care if she has to pay more money. Make them do it. Amen. I, I hate that. Listen, but I, I want it simple. We need to make it simple. I'm afraid that I'm afraid that churches have made things way too complicated. God is not complicated. God is simple. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn to me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. God made it easy. Now, three things real quick, and we'll, we'll pray this morning. Number one, number one, I, I want you to see it up in the top of your notes, up in the top of your notes. It says Philippians chapter one, verse six, being confident of this very thing that he, which hath begun a good, what work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now there are three works and I just wrote them out and the main points will support these three things. First, there's a God, there's a work that he does for us. Say that with me. There's a work he does for us. That's salvation. That's salvation. That's what he does for us. And by the way, he did it all. He did it all. He did everything necessary so that you could be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's, it's the gift of God, not of works. You can't work for it. You say, why can't I work for it? Because all the work is done. And God does the work. There's a work that he does for us, the work of salvation. Number two, there's a work that he does in us. Look at your notes. There's a work he does in us. Now, after we're saved, that let's see, the work for us is salvation. The work in us is sanctification. Sanctification. That's a good old fashioned word for cleaning up. How many of y'all are glad that when God saves you, he'll start cleaning you up? I've heard people say, well, God loves you and he'll take you just like you are. That is correct, but he won't leave you that way. He'll start a work of sanctification. Number three, there's a work that God does for us. That's salvation. There's a work that God does in us. That's sanctification. But then there's a work that God does through us. That's service. That is service. That is service to the king. All right. Now with those three things in mind, with those three things in mind, let's go through, let's go through the outline today. Number one, number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. The first thing that God has for your life, the first plan God has for your life, God wants to save us. The first thing God wants to do for you in your life, God wants to save you. God wants to save you. Listen, if you look at most prosperity preachers, they'll tell you God wants to promote you. God wants to make your life easy. God wants to give you a raise and a, and a new car and a new house. I don't care if you're driving a new car, live in a new house. If you are lost, you're in trouble. And we can, in mission work, we can, we can give blankets and we can give bananas and we can dig wells and we can do all these things. But if we don't give them the gospel, we're missing the point. The very first thing that God wants to do for you is to save you. You are lost. You are undone for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Say amen. amen. Ezekiel 33, Ezekiel 33, 11. It says this, as I live, saith the Lord, 
I have no, Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and, and live. God is not thrilled with people going to hell. God is not happy with people going to hell. It doesn't tickle him. Listen, he is sad. It breaks his heart because he's done everything he could to make sure you don't. First Timothy two, verse three, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior. Read it with me. Who will have, who will have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. Second Peter three, nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us. Read it with me. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Preacher, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say God wants to save you. God wants to deliver you. God wants to save you. Two things I want you to write down. He wants to save you so bad. He wants to save you so bad that he paid the cost to save. Write that down. He paid the cost to save. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And by the way, I'm going fast. I'm going fast. So uh, we got a lot of material. I was supposed to have a short outline because we had so many getting baptized. But y'all know that's very difficult for me. So I've got a lot of information to back up what I'm telling you. So we're going to go quickly through this because it's most of it self-explanatory. But now you got some ammunition, right? So how many of y'all are good with going fast? Say amen. All right. All right. Listen. Take heed unto yourselves and all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. Watch this now. Read it with me. Which he hath purchased with his own, his own blood. First Corinthians six twenty. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's Romans five, eight. But God commended his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, there was a payment for your salvation. Your salvation is not free. Your salvation was not free. It was very costly. It cost the dear son of God his life. For the wages of sin is death. Say it with me. The wages of sin is death. Who paid the debt? Jesus Christ. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The price of your salvation was the blood of Jesus Christ. You are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. Listen, but with the precious blood of the lamb, he paid the price. He paid the cost. So you didn't have to. Nobody, nobody could say, well, I can't afford it. Well, I don't have what it takes. He did it all. Say it with me. He did it all. He paid. He paid the price. He wants to save you so bad. He paid the price himself. He took the penalty himself. He took the beating himself. He took, listen, the consequences of sin himself. So you didn't have to. He didn't just die for you. He died instead of you. He paid the cost. Listen, he wants to save you so bad. He wants to save you so bad that he paid the cost to save. He wants to save you so bad. B, he pursues the lost to save. He pursues the lost to save. Romans 3, 11, there is none, none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. 
They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. No, not one. What does that mean? When you hear somebody say, I found God. Wrong. You are not looking for God. You are not looking for God. God came looking for you. There is none that seeketh after God. Listen, look at the next verse. John 6, 44. No man can come to me except the father which has sent me. Do what? Draw him. Draw him. The father has to draw you by the Holy Spirit. Luke 19, 10. For the son of man has come to. Seek. Come on now. For the son of man has come to. Seek and to. That which was lost. One of the greatest illustrations of this is in the Old Testament. The illustration that God took the initiative. You wasn't seeking God. God was seeking you. You wasn't, you wasn't trying to find God. God was looking for you. God wasn't lost. You were lost. You couldn't get to him. So he came to you. I like the verse that says in Psalms, I waited patiently on the Lord and he inclined unto me and he heard my cry and he brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my foot on a rock, established my goings, put a new song in my mouth. Say amen. He came down into the pit. It says he brought me up also. That means he had to be down there with me. Are y'all with me? Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, what a, what a great story. If you're new to church or the Bible, you may not be familiar with the name Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, who was the son of Saul, who was the present king of Israel. When Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle, his nursemaid picked up this little baby to run and flee because most of the time when the royal family, when, the, when they lost a war, they would come in and kill all the royal family. Because, so she, in her, in her desperation, she was going to run to save this baby and she fell and when she fell, she dropped this kid, Mephibosheth, and it crippled him. It crippled him. Now, they, they fled to a place called Lodibar. Say that with me. Lodibar. Lodibar, meaning no thing. No thing, nothing. There was nothing there. There was no hope. There was no help. There was no joy. There was no peace, no happiness. He was a fugitive. He was a cripple. He couldn't help himself. He couldn't fix his situation. He was in the family of the enemy. But then there was a man on the throne named David. Say amen. Amen. David began to think about his friend, Jonathan. And he said, is there anybody of the house of Saul that I may show kindness to for my friend's sake, Jonathan? And a servant named Zeba said, I tell you, there's one. And his name is Mephibosheth, but he's crippled on his feet. And David said, I want you to go right now, right now. I want you to go and I want you to take the king's chariot and I want you to go where he is. I want you to load him up and bring him to where I am. And from this moment on, he will eat at my table. This moment on, he will sit in the palace. This moment on, he will be in the family. Say amen. Amen. Say, what's that got to do with anything? 
That means Mephibosheth was a type of the sinner who was broken, who was crippled, who couldn't walk right, who had no thing. He was living in a land of nothing. He was living in a land of no joy, happiness, or peace. But there was a king in the palace who had his mind on him. And when Mephibosheth couldn't get to David, David came to Mephibosheth. Ladies and gentlemen, if you realize and remember your life as a sinner, you had nothing. You had no joy, no peace, no happiness, no future, but there was a God in heaven who had his mind on you. And when you couldn't come to him, he came to you. God's plan is to save you. God wants to save you. God paid the price to save you. God is doing the pursuing. He's coming after you. He is seeking you. He is pursuing you. He is wooing you. He is wanting you to know that he loves you dearly. God wants to save you. Now, number two, number two, after salvation, after salvation, don't think that that's all there is to it. Don't think that that's all there is to it. Well, I got my ticket punched to heaven. I'm good. No, no. This is just the beginning. You see, God didn't save you just so you could go to heaven. Why? How do you know that? Because number two, God wants to save you, but God also wants to change you. God wants to change you. He will take you like you are. He will receive you just like you are. He will take you, but he will not leave you that way. He wants to change you. Let me show you a verse. Let me show you a verse. The Bible says, In Romans chapter 2, 12, verse 2. Are you there? Say amen. amen. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye. Come on, everybody. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying God wants to transform you. It is his will for you to become like his darling son. You say, what does he want to change me into? Jesus. Jesus. Let me give you three things real quick. Sake of time. Three things. When you get saved, when you get saved, God is going to use three things to change you and to work on you. How many of, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Let me slow down. Let me slow down. Here we go. First off, I really want to get in that third one because that's where we're at. We'll get there. God will change us through the scriptures. Write that down. He will use his word to change us. Now, how many of you, how many of you have been reading your Bible or heard the preacher preaching and something just didn't sit right with you? Okay, I'm going to ask this. How many of y'all are lying right here in the house of God? Sometimes the scriptures will cut close to the to the hide. Are y'all with me? Amen. Y'all ever seen? Uh, uh, there's, there's the Normans. I see them over there. <laughs> Listen, how many of y'all have ever seen uh, somebody have a curry comb? Anybody know what a curry comb is? Anybody old enough know what a curry comb is? No, uh, pulling on that horse and that horse hair. Y'all know when they get kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of close to the hide, that horse goes, ooh, mm, mm, mm. That's what I see in y'all sometimes. 
I'll be preaching on a subject. It could be forgiveness. And some of y'all have had, y'all, some of y'all have had grudges for 20 years. Some of y'all hadn't spoke to family members in many Christmases ago. And I'll say, God said to forgive them. God says, forgive seven times 70. And, and this is what I'll see. Ooh, 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 <laughs> Come on now. And you know, sometimes you'll be reading the scriptures and you'll be, you'll be doing something contrary to the scriptures. Like, like how about this one? Love your neighbor. And that's easy if you like your neighbor. But if you got an irritating neighbor, do I have a witness? Oh, y'all said amen too loud right there. Hope your neighbor ain't in the building. Amen. Y'all with me? God will tell you to love people that's unlovable. See, the scriptures, the scriptures are like a mirror. The scriptures are like a mirror. I had these verses in here, but I, I run out of room, so I kind of took them out. But the Bible compares it, itself to a mirror. And when we look into that mirror, guess what? It reveals what we really are. And when we look into the scriptures, the scripture shows every flaw, every area where we need to improve, every area where we, what we need to fix. Listen, God will work on you. God will change you. God will, God will start taking things out of your life and putting things in your life. Listen, he will, he will change you with the scriptures. Then, then number two or B or whatever. I think it's B. Is it B? B. Okay. B. He will change you with his spirit. With his spirit. One of the greatest things that's ever happened when a person gets saved is they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes it can be really irritating. If you've been saved any amount of time, you know what I'm talking about. Because you'll go to thinking something and the Holy Spirit says, what are you doing? Especially in traffic. Do I have a witness? Or during a ball game. Or during a sermon. God has sent the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. The Holy Spirit is way more powerful than our, even our own conscience. The Holy Spirit is saying, you know you, you shouldn't be thinking that. You know you shouldn't be doing that. You know you shouldn't make this decision. You know you shouldn't go this direction. And you know what? God has given us such a special gift, the Holy Spirit, to help change us. He will help us to start acting like Jesus. Living like Jesus. Loving like Jesus. Forgiving like Jesus. Treating others like Jesus. How many of y'all have figured out we can't do all them things by ourselves? That we have to have help. We have to, if I'm going to love the unlovable, I'm going to have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. If I'm going to, if I'm going to do things that's impossible in the natural, I'm going to need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. You see, God gave you the Holy Spirit to change you. To change you. He doesn't want you the same. He doesn't want you the way you used to be. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, are what? Become, say that with me, are, in other words, they don't happen automatically. It takes some curry comb. It takes the scriptures. 
It takes the Holy Spirit to be working on you and developing you and changing you and fixing you and putting things in and taking things out. God will not leave you the way he found you. He wants to change it. Now, here's the one I wanted to get to. I kind of got ahead of myself. What, what, what will God use to change you? A, he'll use the, he'll use the scriptures. That's why you need to come and pay attention. Listen, there's way too many Christians. Y'all all listen good because this is going to make some of you miss. This is going to be one of them curry comb moments. Listen, everybody at Fairview, y'all pay attention. There's way too many people that treats the house of God like an entertainment center. And they think that they have their bad day through the week and they come to the house of God so they can uh, uh, get motivated. Or to feel better about their miserable life they're having. And then what, what is the job, what is the job of the platform is to make you feel better. That is not the job of the platform. That is not the job of worship. Matter of fact, worship ain't even about you. If you make it about you, you're becoming an idol. Worship is about him. Worship is what he enjoys. Worship is what he deserves. Listen, church is not to to pat you on the back. Church is not here to make you feel better. Church is not here to give you a motivational speech so you can make it through the rest of the week. Church is here to edify. The word edify means to build up. It means to change you. When you come to church, you should leave more like Jesus than when you came. And if the preacher is preaching the truth and he's preaching the scriptures, you will change. So quit treating the church, the worship time, as an entertainment venue. It's not here to entertain you. It's here to edify you. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. God wants to change you. God wants you. And this, this next verse, this next verse is going to prove what we're saying. Now, we love, we love Romans 8, 28, don't we? <clears throat> We'll quote it, Lord God. I've seen people quote it. I've seen them put them on their on their faces in ball games. I've seen them post and 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 put it on social media. Romans eight twenty eight. We all love that one. For God, He works all things out for our, you know our good, right? Y'all remember? For all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, them that are called according to His purpose, right? Come on, y'all. Don't act like y'all don't know it. See, y'all mad about that last point? I can tell. Come on. God works everything out. That, and then we stop there. We stop there. That's a, that's a no-no. That's a no-no. You don't just pick out a verse like it's a buffet at a restaurant. You got to read the next verse. What is he working out? The Bible said, for whom he did for, no, he did predestinate to be conformed. Say it with me. To be conformed. to the image of his son. Preacher, what is, it, what, what is God going to use to change us? He's going to use the, the scriptures. He's going to use the spirit. And he's going to use the situations in your life. Now, he's not, he's not doing it so you'll be comfortable. He's not doing it for you to be comfortable. There's, there's, there's way too much prosperity preaching that's making people feel like that God is our bellhop in heaven. He's our servant in heaven to make our life easier and to make our life comfortable. God is not concerned with your comfort. He's concerned with your character. And watch this. And we know that, Romans eight twenty eight. and we know that all things. Now, what would be in all things? All things. That's the Greek definition, all things. 
It means good things. It means happy things. It means joyful things. But guess what? It also means bad things. It also means sad things. It also means painful things. Tribulation worketh. Come on. Tribulation worketh. Does does God want us to be patient? So guess what he'll allow in your life? Tribulation. Oh, preacher, don't pray for patience. Don't pray for patience because if you pray for patience, bad things will happen. Ladies and gentlemen, let me, let me inform you. If you need patience, I don't care if you ask for it or not, it's coming. Why? Because God wants to change you. God wants to use the situations in your life, the circumstances in your life to conform you to the image of his son. He wants you to love unlovable people. So God will put unlovable people in your path. He wants you to forgive people that hurt you. So he will allow things to happen in your life to give you an opportunity to forgive like Jesus. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. God wants you to be like his son. God wants to conform you into the image of his son. God wants you to live like his son. God wants you to love like his son. God wants you to forgive like his son. He wants you to think like his son. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So he's going to let things happen. He's going to allow situations. He's going to allow circumstances to take place. That's why so many, so many young Christians get disillusioned, especially when they sit under prosperity preaching. Because they have this idea when I get saved, everything good's supposed to happen. Everything's supposed to fall right into place. Everything is supposed to come my way. I'm supposed to be blessed. I'm supposed to be too blessed to be stressed. And it seems like all hell's breaking loose in my life. And it will. You know why? Because that's God's curry comb. God's wanting to clean you up. God's wanting to change your life. God's wanting to do things in your life so you will become more like Jesus. Let me say this again because I know, I know I've done, I've done made a bunch of people mad this morning. God is not as concerned with your comfort as he's concerned with your character. God's not going to make anything easy. Now I'm not, I'm not, trust me, I'm not real thrilled about the point I'm preaching right now, but I'm preaching the truth. I don't like when bad things happen. I don't like when, when painful things happen. I don't like when, but I do like the outcome when I become more like Jesus. And I find that I have more patience in my life. Man, there are things that 10, 20 years ago would have made me just fall all to pieces. And it had because I faced those things and I thought it about killed me. And it happens now and it don't bother me a bit. You know why? Because God used things to strengthen me and make me better and to build my faith and, and make me more like Jesus. Preacher, what I'm saying, I'm just trying to warn some of you guys as brand new Christians. Be ready. Because God wants to change you. God wants to develop you. God wants to work in you. Say that with me. God wants to work. See, that's that work in you. That's that work in you. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Everybody look at me. I'm almost done. I know it's hard to take. I'm almost done. God cannot work through you till he does a work in you. How many of y'all remember a a real vocal disciple named Peter? 
God had big plans for Peter. I mean, bigger plans than Peter even realized. God looks at Peter and says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Oh, I've got big plans for you, son. But there was only one problem. Peter was full of himself. He was saved. He was a believer. He confessed Christ. He said, we believe that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood is not revealed this unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven unto thee, I give the keys. Are y'all with me? But he still had some work to do in him. There came a point right before the arrest that Jesus is warning everybody and telling them, listen, that the shepherd's going to be smitten and the sheep are going to scatter. Peter said, well, not me. Not me, all the rest of them. Uh-uh, not me. Basically he's saying, I love him more than all the rest of them. I, uh-uh. And, and Jesus is over there. I believe Jesus gave Peter in that moment the eye roll and the side eye. He said, Peter, your spirit's willing, but matter of fact, before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, no, no, no. Matter of fact, Peter was so full of himself, he even got mad. He got angry when Jesus confronted him. Jesus put the curry cone to him. Peter didn't like it. But guess who was right? Jesus. Guess who denied him three times before the cock crew? Peter. Guess who went out and wept bitterly? Guess who went through a very painful experience? But guess what? Woo, hallelujah. Feel God right there. God used that painful experience to get Peter where he needed to be, where he would be humble and he would be able to use. And God took him and he preached and thousands were saved. You see, God does a work for us. He does a work in us so that he can do a work through us. Number one, God wants to save us. Number two, God wants to change us. Number three, God wants to use us. God wants to use us. Don't be angry when God's working on you. Don't be angry when God's molding on you. Don't be angry when that curry comb gets a little close to the hide. Don't be angry when things are painful. Don't be angry when God allows something you don't understand in your life. He's doing something in you because he wants to do something through you. He wants to use us. Look what it says. Look what it says. 2 Timothy 2.21 If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and say it with me, and meat for the master's use. use. You know what that word meat means? It means useful. Useful. Everybody look at me for a minute. I need everybody to pay real close attention. Pastor Doug's in the building. He's seen this all throughout the years. God wants to use all of you. But unfortunately, some of you are not usable. You're not meat. You're not ready. Because you're still full of yourself. It's still my will, not thy will, Lord. And God has been putting things in your life and lining things up to try to conform you to the image of his son. And you've been fighting it all the way and complaining and whining and griping and wondering why God is just doing all of this stuff. 
When you need to step back and say, God, why are you doing all this stuff? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to change? What do you want me to fix? What do you want me to put in my life or take out of my life? Because he's not doing it because he loves to hurt his children. He's not allowing things in your life because he loves to see you squirm. He's wanting to use you. But he can't use you unless he does a work in you. Sanctified. That's that work in us. He wants to sanctify us. He wants to change us so we will be useful for the hand of the master. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Two things and we'll be done. Two things he wants to use us to do. First of all, without question, he wants to use us to bring people to himself. He wants to use us to bring people to himself. Do you know what? The very job that he gave the disciples when he left, he said, go ye into all the world. Go make disciples. Go preach the gospel to every creature. Y'all remember the Great Commission? What's he saying? Go bring people to me. Use your life to bring people to me. Use your life to point people to me. Ladies and gentlemen, are you using your life pointing people to Jesus? Are you using the things and the blessings and the giftings that God has given you to point people to Jesus? Are you bringing people? Listen, the Bible says in Acts 1.8, he reminded them once again before he left, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses. Ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Go bring people to me. God wants to use you to bring others to himself. Now, that, that right there should thrill all of us. That the, the, the supreme sovereign God of glory, he holds the breath, our breath in his hand. He wants us to team up with him. Yes. Look what it says. Mark 16, 15. And he said, go ye in all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Ye shall be witness unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The Bible, Paul said, I planted Apollos water, but God giveth the increase. He says, we are not working for God. We're working with God. You see, he wants us to bring people to him for this reason. This is the primary reason. This is the number one reason. This is the ultimate purpose and reason for humanity being on this planet and for this planet being here. God wants to use us to bring people to him. God wants, us, God wants to use us to bring praise to him. Or more specifically, what? Glory. God wants to bring glory to himself. Isaiah 43, 7. Isaiah 43, 7. Even everyone that is called by my name. Read it with me. For I have. Okay, okay, okay. You remember we said, we said there was books all over the shelves at Books A Million? The reason for life. The purpose of life. Forget all them books. I'm going to give it to you right here. One verse, Isaiah 43, 7. Even everyone that is called by my name, read it with me, everybody, real loud. For I have created him for my glory. Wow, there you, there's your answer. Why did God make you? For his glory. Why did God create you? For his glory. Why did God design you? For his glory. Why did God gift you? For his glory. Why did God save you? For his glory. Why does God want to use you? For his glory. I formed him, yea, I have made him. 
First Corinthians 10, 31. Wherefore, there, where, whether, therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do. Now, listen, that means the very simplest routine things of life. As, as in eating and drinking. You don't just glorify God when preaching a sermon or doing a great ministry act. You need to glorify God when you eat your bologna sandwich. Amen. Whether you eat or drink and whatsoever ye do, read it with me all loud. Do. Do all to the glory of God. Why? Because that's why you were made. Isaiah 43, 21. Here's where, here's where bringing people to him makes sense. Why does God want to use us to bring people to him? It's not just so he, they don't go to hell. It's primarily for this reason. Isaiah 43, 21. This people have I formed for myself. Read it with me real loud. They shall show forth my grace. Psalms 50, verse 22. Actually, verse 23. Typo again. Forgive the computer. Read it with me real loud. Whoso offereth praise. What? Say it again. Read the whole, read the whole underlined sentence. You ready? Everybody say it again. If fair of you help me real loud. <laughs> who is more thankful and who gives more praise than a sinner saved by grace? Then a person who realizes they were guilty. Look at me, everybody. Don't be folding up. You don't be folding up your mind. I ain't done. I'm redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory. Christ is mine. I am thankful because I was guilty. And I deserve hell. But I'm getting heaven. You see, when people praise, they're giving him, come on now, when people, they're giving him, and when we bring people to him and they get saved, they're going to feel praise welling up in them. And when they give praise, that gives God, I want to ask you a question. Are you letting God use you? Or are you just using God? Are you allowing God to use you or are you just using God? So how do I use God? You don't think about him until you get in a bad situation. He is in the trunk instead of. He's your spare tire and not your. God wants to save you. So that God can change you. So he can use you. He didn't save you to go to heaven. That's a byproduct. He saved you to become more like his son. And when you become more like his son, you're going to do what his son did. His son came to seek and to that which was. And when you seek and save that which was lost and you bring people to him, then people are going to give God glory. Let God use you. Let God use you. There's no greater joy than when you are being used by the king of glory for his glory. And all God's people say it.
God wants to do a work for us. He wants to save you. God wants to do a work in us. He wants to sanctify you. God wants to do a work through us. He wants to use you to serve the king. He wants to save you. He wants to change you so that he can use you. Can we give God praise and glory?